<laughs> My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Amen. So if I were the movie director in charge of doing the film of Zacchaeus, I think Danny DeVito would be the perfect Zacchaeus. And I want you to think all the way back to the TV show Taxi. Because we all know that he's, he's fairly short, but he was up in that cage, he played Louie, and he was a grumpy, greedy Grinch. Right? Glaring down at everybody. Just, rah, nobody liked him. But there were moments when he would come out of that cage and come down to that table where Alex and Jeff Conway and Mary Lou Henner and Tony Dance all sat together. And he would share something heartfelt and then he would run right back up to his cage. He was mean, he was gruff, he was short. He was the richest guy in the room. In fact, he was like the man who could get a quarter out of anyone. The story's told that a man was visiting a town in Mexico and he heard a mother's uh, helpless cry for help. And he understood enough Spanish to realize that the little boy was choking on something. Mm. So he grabbed the little boy by his feet, held him up and down, clapped him on the back, and an American quarter came shooting out of his mouth. And the woman said gratefully, are you a doctor? He said, no, I work for the IRS. <laughs> I want you to think about last week's sermon. And if you, you weren't here last week, I'll give you a, a little hint. We went to our mailbox. Remember, we got some mail. And there were some flyers from stores and a couple credit card offers. And at the bottom was a letter from the IRS. And the person last week we went to in front of the IRS was known to be dishonest and to get a, a percentage of whatever he got from you in your audit. Well, that was just a story that Jesus told. That was a parable. This week, it's an actual person, and he is the boss of all the tax collectors. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. That meant that he taught other people how to be deceitful. I want you to think about that. And we also know, and isn't it funny, that this is the only person in the Bible that is described by their physical appearance. And we all know that he was short. That's what it says. He was short. Now, then I have to say to myself, how short is short? Remember in the 60s and the 70s when boys were growing their hair long and your mom would quote at you from Ephesians, you know, a man's hair must not be too long. And we were always discussing how long is... So, if you live in America, the average height of a man in America today is five foot nine. That means I am below average. I'm sorry to say your pastor is below average. But if I lived in the Philippines, the average height for a man in the Philippines is five foot four. I could be on their basketball team. <laughs> However, if all of us lived in the Netherlands, we'd be in trouble because average height in the Netherlands is 5'11". Wow. They got some tall people in the Netherlands, right? Zacchaeus was short. Now, as a psychologist, I will tell you there is such a thing as a Napoleon complex. Often, a short person feels the need to compensate for their shortness, their uh, vertical challengedness, and, and overcome that by, and I actually looked it up for you, they compensate with their behavior, their aggression, or their gossip. 
And Zacchaeus was probably one of these people. Now, we don't know if he grew up rich or poor, but chances are he grew up poor. How do we know that? Because his name, Zacchaeus, actually means pure. His parents were godly Jewish people, and they named their son Pure. They wanted him to grow up to be a good Jewish young man. And we also know that he was Jewish because the Romans only hired Jewish people to be tax collectors for other Jewish people. They worked with the indigenous groups. So the chief tax collector was not a Roman, it was a Jew. And he was frowned upon by his fellow Jews because he was working for the enemy. We also know that... uh, We also know, oh, we also know that people who are taller make more money. Did you know that? They actually have done studies on this. If you have two people doing the same job, the taller one will probably be making as much as $10,000 more than the shorter person. And every president in, since 1900, every president that we've elected has been the taller candidate. Except for one. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was not taller than Gerald Ford, right? So, I don't care which side of the aisle you're working with, but if you want your candidate to win, find yourself a (laughs) seven-footer. Right? And it's funny because even back in Bible times, when Saul was going to be king, the people said, what a wonderful king he'll be. And his only claim to fame was that he was a head taller than everybody else in Israel at that time. So poor Zacchaeus, just like us today, if you are vertically challenged, he knew he wasn't going to make as much money. He had a chip on his shoulder because he was short, and he was going to fix this. Now Luke has set us up for a, a twist here. We've been reading the book of Luke for the last year. That was the book for year C in the lectionary. And we know that the rich man who had so much wheat and grain, there wasn't room on his barns. And he said, I'm going to build new barns and I'll live happily ever after. God said, tonight, you're going to die. We heard the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Who went in and threw himself on the mercy of Jesus because That was a sinful life. We have the story of Lazarus, rich man Lazarus, or poor man Lazarus, rich man Dives, right? And God said, you get to go to heaven to the poor man, and you get to go to the other place to the rich man. And Luke has made it very clear that people with money, in fact, he he records Jesus saying, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. So we have been set up here. I want you to hear this. We have been set up. We already know who the bad guy is in the story. It's that chief tax collector. He's the bad guy. We know who to go boo when he comes on stage. Maybe throw a couple rotten tomatoes. Danny DeVito, duck, because our stuff is coming your way. We are ready. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. Now, nowhere in the story does it tell us that Jesus had ever met Zacchaeus before. And he knew his name. The story's told of an older pastor who was approaching death. And having been a nursing home chaplain, I will tell you that godly people often know when that time is coming. 
And the pastor called for his new associate to come, and the associate came, and he said, would you read scripture for me? And the associate thought, well, maybe I will read Corinthians or John 14, let not your heart be troubled. And the pastor said, would you read to me First Chronicles? And he did, and after it was done, he said, pastor, I, I don't understand. And the pastor said, with, with a glow in his eyes and his face, God knew all those people by name. God knows your name. God comes to your tree and he says, whomever you are, come down. The second thing Jesus said is, I'm going to your house for dinner. He invited himself to dinner. And I got to tell you, I am not a poor preacher, thank goodness. But I, I have been in the past... <laughs> It reminds me of the story of the preacher who had a week off and he decided to fix the parsonage and he went down to the hardware store and he said to the hardware store guy, this is what I need, you know, paint and spackle, hammer and nails. And it came out to over $100 and he looked at the guy at the store and he said, can you help me out? I'm a poor preacher. He said, well, I've been to your church and there's nothing I can do. You're going to have to think about that one. Poor preacher. Okay, so... Jesus said, I, I want to come to your house. And he knew where Zacchaeus lived. And I want you to think about this. I, I knew that he knew the physical place, but he knew where Zacchaeus lived his life. He knew his challenges. He knew his heartaches. He knew his pain. He knew whatever it was that weighed him down. He knew what it was that caused him to become the chief tax collector. That's not a job you set out when you're a little boy, right? Six, seven years old. And they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a, uh, a policeman. I want to be a scientist or an astronaut. Very rarely do you hear that your average six-year-old go, oh, I want to be a chief tax collector for the IRS. Something caused him to be that. I... I have to tell you that in the world of pastors, I don't fit. When I go to pastor's meetings and they know who I am, there's always a little bit of whispering because he's the psychologist, right? He doesn't really belong here with us. He's a psychologist. And it's funny, when I go to psychologist meetings and they know who I am, you know what they do? They whisper. And what do they say? He's a pastor. He's not really one of us. He's like an interloper. Right? And when I hang out with school teachers, well, I'm not a real teacher because I'm the music teacher, right? I'm not teaching math or science or English, right? And when I'm with the music teachers, they're all like, he teaches psychology. I can't win. There's not a place where I fit. I, I love you all, but we all know that I'm not a real Baptist. What do you say behind my back? <laughs> He's a Methodist. And I want you to hear that our friend Zacchaeus didn't fit. He didn't fit with the Jews because he was stealing their money. He didn't fit with the Romans because he was a collaborator. They didn't really trust him. He didn't fit with the tall people. He didn't fit with the short people. I made a list here. He didn't fit with the rich people because he was nouveau riche. He wasn't old money. He was new money and they knew how he got it. He didn't fit anywhere. He was uncomfortable in his skin wherever he went. And Jesus knew that. He knew where he lived. He knew his name and he knew where he lived. 
Now, they did a study, and yeah, I, I love getting ready for these sermons because you learn neat stuff. They did a study on happiness, and they questioned people all around the world, and some of the most unhappy people in the world are in their early 20s. And some of the, did I say happiest or unhappiest? Unhappy. Unhappy, that's right. And some of the happiest people in this world have absolutely nothing. The happiest people on this study were slum liver, people who lived in the slums in Calcutta. And some of the most unhappy were college students. Now you would think college, that's, we, that was some of the best years of our lives. You didn't really have to work. They fed you three meals a day. And if you go to a regular college, you know, you could schedule your classes. You could sleep until 11 and not have class on Wednesday and Friday. I mean, you would think these people would be happy, and they weren't. And the people who lived in the slums of Calcutta had a much higher degree of happiness. So then the researchers said, why? I want to know why. They found out that the people in Calcutta had stronger relationships. They had stronger support as a community. And there was a greater amount of love. Our friend Zacchaeus was rich in things and poor in relationships. He was unhappy. Jesus knew where he lived. And then Jesus said something that doesn't really ring with us. But he said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And to sit down and eat with somebody meant, in Jesus' time, that you approved of them, that you wanted to be in a relationship with them. And like I told the children in the children's sermon, all the, all the Pharisees, all the, the well-to-do people were like, why would you eat with that greedy, grumpy Grinch? Why would you go there, Jesus? Why would you sit and approve of his sin? But what happens during dinner? Zacchaeus is challenged by his relationship with Jesus, and he jumps up and he announces because it doesn't say that Jesus wagged his finger at him. There was no fire and brimstone sermon at dinner. Just by being in contact with Jesus, knowing that Jesus knew his name and knew where he lived, he jumps up and says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And if I've robbed anybody, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole. And Jesus wraps this up for us and says... Today, salvation has come to this house because I came to seek and save the lost. For me, it's the gospel in a nutshell. I, I wish when children were little, we taught them John 3.16 and 17. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For Christ came not to this world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. That's the gospel. Amen. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus could have wagged his finger. Jesus could have dropped some large meteorite on Zacchaeus' house in punishment. Zacchaeus, like all of us, was a sinner and deserved the punishment for sin. And Jesus didn't condemn Jesus didn't squish him like a bug. Jesus said, I love you. I'm coming to your house to get to know you. Now, Zacchaeus had a choice, and we have this choice, and I want you to hear this. When you make that initial commitment to Christ, 
Jesus asked for everything. And the joke is, you know, what's the problem with the living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. We do that. We keep crawling off the altar. Now, this example might work for the musicians in the room. It might not for the rest. But the story is told of a famous composer who had a son who was rebellious and would always come in a little bit drunk after his mom and dad were in bed. And just to annoy them, he would do this. Now, is anybody waiting for somebody to play? And the story's told that the composer would like toss and turn and toss and turn and toss and turn, and he'd have to get out of bed and, and go down to the piano and go, and then all that musical tension is released. So keep it open. All that musical tension is released. See, we we forgive, but not completely. We love, but not completely. We serve, or we accept Christ, but not completely. We live a Christian lifestyle. We, we commit our lives and our money, but not completely. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows where you live. And Jesus invites himself into your heart. In fact, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But what happens is we have to open the door and invite him in. And what's the verse say? And I will sup with you. I will eat with you. And I love that famous painting that most every church has of Jesus knocking. And I'm sure you've heard this in sermons before. There's no doorknob on the outside. Jesus does not barge his way into your heart. He asks to be invited in. So Jesus wants to eat with you. He wants to sit at table with you. He wants to get to know you. He wants to offer his forgiveness to you. Probably the most inspiring thing I read this week was this. Zacchaeus was forgiven before he repented. Zacchaeus was forgiven before he repented. Forgiveness was already there. Jesus had already come. God's plan was already in progress. He was forgiven Jesus came not only to seek and save the lost, but to find you. And he finishes by saying, let's eat. Amen. Amen. Amen.